1: Hello and welcome to the How To Academy podcast, the weekly show from London's home of big thinking, with me, that's Krista and some of the most exciting guests in global culture. Fee Glover and Jane Garvey are legends of BBC Radio and the hosts of Fortunately, their hilarious and frank podcast that has taken the country by storm in the last five years. Just before Christmas, they joined Hannah McInnes to tell us all about their friendship and share stories and ideas from their new book, Did I Say That Out Loud? Notes on the Chuff of Life.
0: So, 214 podcasts, a book, I don't know how many live events, I was asking your pop if she could tell me, but a lot later. I'm just wondering um, how it feels. Are you enjoying this ride well, it's not quite what
2: I was expecting in the twilight of my broadcasting uh, career. And it very much is the twilight. Not so much for young Fee, of course, but for me, it's very much. Um, I think it's probably an unexpected... huge oh, five, five years, five very important years. Five very years. important years. Yeah. Um, I don't think many people, or we wouldn't have expected, would we, two women over 50 to have quite you know, an unexpected amount of success in a field that has always been dominated by men, radio is always dominated by men, and, and then podcasting was also deemed to be the perfect platform for the bantering man, and um, we've done our best to try and just even it out a bit, haven't we? We have, yeah. yeah. We can talk crap
0: too, just like men. Yeah. <laughs> we really can. You, you've credited it for restoring your sanity.
2: Oh, not, well... <laughs> <laughs> Helping it limp along, I suppose, would probably be about as good as it gets. I think, I mean, certainly in the darkest days of lockdown, Fee and I were almost pathetically grateful for the opportunity to talk to each other mm. via Zoom and her incredibly patchy broadband over in East London. I won't yeah. give it. will be any more specific. Cause <laughs>
0: she does have a lot of admirers. So. <laughs>
2: East London. Uh, it's in oh, I mean, you began yes.
0: uh, your two hundred and fourteenth podcast. Um, fee, you were asking Jane. Does it sometimes feel like a marriage? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um,
3: yeah. <laughs> and this is longer than some of mine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Also true. We
3: could have had a little ceremony. (laughs) So it doesn't feel like a marriage, because isn't it funny that as soon as you say that, people laugh as if that's something terribly kind of unfortunate that you found yourself to be in. But actually, I think there's something worth celebrating about the fact that we have done nearly five years of podcasting together. Mm. And I hope that one of the things that people like about the podcast and about the book... Is, it's quite a true reflection of what friendship is. Mm. Like sometimes we don't agree about things. Sometimes we really annoy each other. Sometimes we're incredibly grateful to have each other in each other's lives. Mm. And sometimes you you know you can go whole months without thinking about the other person, and then it's nice to see them. Uh, but you know it's a reflection. If only. Of, I mean that's not happen. Know, It's not the case at the moment. But it's a you know it's a reflection of what what female friendship Mm. is and also as jane pointed out the other day it's one of the most lucrative friendships she's ever had
0: (laughs) (laughs) by by some margin (laughs) the most lucrative she did just say as you were coming on you only talk to each other for money yeah yeah Yeah. pretty much absolutely pretty much but that is the true isn't it it is so much about female friendship i mean you're quite i mean you won't say it now probably but you're quite sort of soppy stages in the book perhaps you a little bit more than jane <laughs> yeah well um, no nice surprise there <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of no there's a lot of love and it, it must be quite inspiring that people want to listen to that the warmth and
2: sort of the affection oh, yeah. and i mean fan. i think if you asked most women i mean you can't be can't gen- generalize although hey lots of journalists do a lot of generalization <laughs> uh, a lot of women i'm going to say would probably credit their female friendships with with helping them limp through life Mm. and um, perhaps sometimes more than limp through life. You know, you need friends who you can ring Mm. at three o'clock in the morning. Mm. Um, And all of us probably over the last couple of years have had moments when you just think, oh my God, I really do. I would like to offload to someone who I know will listen without making any kind of judgment. Mm. And I think, and that isn't to say by any stretch that men can't also have incredibly important supportive friendships. I I just think in the past men have been perhaps allowed to celebrate their friendships more. And women have always been pitted against each other, even though so many of us know the truth, which is that without female friendship, we'd be, we'd be kaput, really. I um, think we've
3: kept it a bit to ourselves and not, mm. not allowed men to kind of make a, a, a decent copy of it. I mean, I think, you know, obviously I'm not a man. Uh, So I don't truly understand the male mind. But but I think uh, sometimes men can struggle to find a depth in their friendships that women seem to be able to get to quicker and maybe sustain for longer. And there's certainly something in poor male mental health that points to not being able to have really honest conversations. And for somebody to either go, you're in trouble, let's try and sort it out, or, Mm. you know, that's nothing to worry about, I feel the same way. Mm. And I think female friendship does that all the time. It calls you out, it picks you up, it supports you, you know, it's just a bloody good thing, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Talking about the sort of way that you both wrote the book, it's sort of quite a military almost style procedure. <laughs> Perhaps, Fee, you just made your military face. Um, you can explain what happened, um, sort of Monday.
2: Excuse me. Of the two of us, I think I was the most senior, certainly in the uniform <laughs> services. Um, because I was a patrol leader uh, in the Girl Guides. And I don't. I don't actually
0: think you even went
2: to guides. No, it's just I didn't. That when make I it said that, Brownies. she made this face. Like I yeah, well, she wasn't in any way in charge. She may claim now, but I think you'll find. But didn't
0: she? In the Monday morning queue. you yes. <laughs> did you I can't remember okay. <laughs> but either way a very mutual arrangement perhaps you could um, one of you tell us um, to-
2: as she says herself she does the admin so she can okay, explain that's this that's maybe what I'm yeah, sure.
0: um, alluding to the, yes. the administrative process of writing the book oh gosh
3: Right. Uh, so on, we decided that, we decided, every Monday morning we would swap our chapters. So, so the idea of the book is that it's a kind of call and response. So we each chose things that we wanted to write about and then the other one responds to them. And we had no say in what, what we were each writing about. And every Monday morning at 10 o'clock we had to send over our chapters and then we had to write the responses straight away without thinking about it or going off to research it or asking somebody funnier or brighter uh, (laughs) what they thought about it. Uh, So hopefully it's quite a kind of spontaneous read, you know, like the podcast is. But we wrote it in lockdown... Three, everybody's least favourite lockdown. Mm. (laughs) And we really, actually, I mean, if we can be honest about it, we benefited from that, didn't we? Because we were so, you know, as all of you would have been too, just so effing fed up with it. I mean, Mm. it was the lockdown that had gone beyond banana bread, beyond furlough. (laughs) You know, it's beyond carver, you know, mm. beyond liking your children. Nobody wants to do
2: a quiz anymore. <laughs> no. it's
3: so it's to desperate. have something to do <laughs> and a kind of timetable to stick to, yeah. I think was actually very helpful. But we had a little bit of a technical problem. We often have technical problems on the podcast. Me more than Jane, actually, now. And as, uh, as Jane likes to point out, I'm just so grumpy about it now. Mm. I just don't have any bandwidth for broadband effing
0: up no, no. but do you think then uh, so did i say that out loud is a sort of covid silver lining because do you think you would have written it if you hadn't uh, oh, had lockdown
2: we'd probably have had lots of meetings about possibly writing it um <laughs> because we enjoyed lunches and coffee meetings yes. with publishers <laughs> didn't we That's we can great. do meetings yeah we'd love we love a meeting <laughs>
0: um and,
2: uh, no i think you're absolutely right hannah i, do, I very much doubt that we would <laughs> we'd actually physically done it and to my absolute horror writing a book actually entailed writing a book um, for years, I've, I mean I love reading, I've, I've always enjoyed um, talking to writers, I was so lucky to do so many of them on mm. Woman's Hour over the years and I always enjoyed talking to them, almost always um, it's always one or two and um, <laughs> I, but, but I, would, I suppose I just thought you wafted about in a wraparound cardigan um, and talked about your book, but didn't actually sit there on your own having to write the bloody thing. So that, that came as a bit of a blow, Gosh. if I'm honest. And, and I've only written half of the book. You're putting off all these aspiring authors in the audience. Well, it's just soul-destroying, isn't it?
3: I rather enjoyed it. Oh, did you? Okay. <laughs> There we are. Oh, <laughs> um, God. But I think, I think it's so different, isn't it, to what we both do for a living, actually. So what we both do for a living is chat.
1: <laughs> and we show off, don't we, we? show we? off. Yeah. Uh, we
3: are helped every step of the way, you know, to, to give the, yeah, the very best performance we possibly can. And then when it's absolutely dreadful, it's somebody else's fault. <laughs> so this is very different. This is actually concentrate do some work on your own in a room uh, without anybody helping you and without a round of applause at the end of it. Mm. So, you know, we've, made, we've stretched ourselves. <laughs> yeah. We have stretched ourselves. But do you
0: think... So when you were writing to each other, I mean, were you envisaging an audience as well in your, in your mind... Some sort of, it would help for me to read
2: it out mm. because then it would sound a bit like the podcast, and the audio version of the book is also available. <laughs> yes, the
0: audio version, of course, um, with additional content. Added, I um, and I think
2: that's probably, in some ways, a more faithful <laughs> <laughs> representation of what this is all about because it's very hard, really, to with the replicate.
0: audio book. Well, well you I, just I would, kind would say, criticize so. each other's chapters. Well, yes, but but that's
3: what the podcast is as well, isn't it? We just criticise each other's lives and thoughts, (laughs) so
2: it's a continuation. I think it's it's true of not just female friendships, but all friendships, is that you want your friends to do well, just not better than you. (laughs) Just not loads better than you. yeah. We all know that. I mean, it's a
3: fact, isn't it? (laughs) Or at least to credit you in the journey that you've undertaken.
0: But so you've said that uh, people were sort of helping you do it when you're doing it on on radio and things like that. And there's a quote in your chapter titled Broadcasting and Garvey's Radio Personality Assessment Chapter where Fee, you say um, live radio is a very odd thing to want to do. Essentially, it's reading out loud, but it's go commando reading out loud, and there has to be a certain kind of frisson about your own self-importance to believe anyone might want to know, let alone hear, the naked workings of your inner mind. Mm. But uh, radio doesn't actually require you to necessarily sort of do that, show your inner mind, but a podcast does. And I'm I'm wondering from both of you... Jane, you, you describe yourself in the book as an introvert and a private person and sort of resistant to the oversharing thing. How, how do you find the fact that the podcast wants you to share all, be authentic, and that's what your audience loves? Uh, uh, can I just say, Hannah, I'm a massive contradiction.
2: LAUGHTER <laughs> um. Because anyone who's actually heard the podcast will know that I've talked about all kinds of things that you would never normally (laughs) mention in public. Uh, And I'm not going to revisit some of my greatest hits now. And and that's uh, what the audience loves. Well, I I think most people can can relate to... I mean, I think the the minute we thought we might be onto something, or one of the minutes, was when I found a sultana in my bra. (laughs) um, Which was very early on in Fortunately's life. And I, I mentioned it. I don't think it was... Was that... We weren't doing the radio review podcast. I think about, we may we, have we, still yeah, been. Because yeah. we had this kind of format when we first started where we had to have quite a rigid structure and we'd talk about programmes, all of which, surprisingly, you could find on BBC Radio <laughs> 4. It was a real coincidence. <laughs> um, and um, neither of us were, I mean, my heart wasn't really in it. I mean, I love radio, but I, I, I basically I just wanted to talk to her and be paid for it. And um, that's as it turned out, is what's happened. Yeah. So. And I think there was the reference to this bit of dried fruit. And um, people thought, my God, these two really are probably quite mad, but also possibly a bit like me and, mm. and my mates and things like that. By the way, I swear by Sultana's. Um, in your bra?
0: Well, not in the bra, but I just think not always. No, I, mean, um, I, I, I mean as a place to sort of...
2: I just think
3: they're really, a there are very underrated
2: <laughs> snack.
0: Yeah, I oh, know. I agree with that. Yeah, I, agree. I don't agree with that. Oh no! Well, do you I like?
3: I find them horrible. Prefer I find they're a kind of trigger food. If I have one sultana, I can absolutely guarantee I'll have a probably a Mars bar, maybe a cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> this, you know, they just they're
0: terrible things. Evil, evil little shrivelled things. Just quickly, um, on, yes. the over, <laughs> on the oversharing kind of, or sharing and the authenticity of... of uh, how do you find that? Because you, you say, you know, it's, it's sort of radio without the support garments, liberating, wobbling and joyful. So yes. you, you really appreciate it being able to sort of...
3: Well, I think we do, it, don't we? I think because both of us have... Uh, we've done quite a lot of different types of radio, but actually all with the same sound. So both Jane and I started in local radio... Uh, We've, you know, been through Five Live, uh, ended up at Radio 4. And even though some of those formats are more relaxed, I mean, particularly Five Live, which is just a talk station, Mm. we were always, you know, very constrained, actually, in how we could talk to people, what it was that we were talking about. And I think lots of things have changed. You know, society's changed and, you know, where the boundaries are between personal and public... Social media is not a place for modesty or, you know, holding back. Mm -hmm. So I think all of those things have kind of come together in podcasting Mm -hmm. and enabled Jane and I at the, I mean, let's face it, the kind of autumn of our careers to do something different that we probably feel more confident about. I would not have felt confident in my 20s or 30s making the kind of podcasts that I hear younger women make. And I admire them enormously for doing that. But, you know, I don't care if people see all the mistakes in my life now, but that's because I'm kind of happy, you know, with where I am. And I think, I never ever want to speak for Lady Garvey. It's a dangerous thing to do. But I think maybe you feel the same way. It's kind of easier for us to let it all hang out now. It wouldn't have been if we were very much younger. Well, I,
2: yeah, I think you're right. But also, uh, even if we are judged, we don't really care very much about what people think. So, um, that, that, is, that is liberating. And I think Fee's right about the amount... I, I'm, I think this Well, in one of Fee's chapters in the book, she talks about the, the, the chapter with the fantastic title, so I must get this right, Steam Clean My Gwyneth. Um, <coughs> which, yes, actually is about something quite serious, which is about the amount of oversharing that some... Well, you could... Some people might call it oversharing, others wouldn't, that the very liberated young mm. woman is prepared to do. But, of course... The, although it's marvellous and and energising in lots of ways, you can never know how other people will see it and how other people will perceive what you've put out there. Mm -hmm. And that's where it gets potentially very dangerous. So it is all right for Gwyneth Paltrow to flog her candles. Um, What are they called again?
3: Oh, uh, This Candle Smells Like My Orgasm and This Candle Smells Like My Vagina. Available for the hilarious $69. (laughs) It's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very, very clever, very,
0: very clever, clever lady. <laughs> My dad's in the audience. Oh, so. sorry about oh. that.
3: Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect Christmas present for your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but
0: actually, so you're right. I shouldn't say oversharing, sharing, because, again, it is what we love. Everyone just loves so much hearing this honesty. And in the book, you actually both talk about divorce, which is quite a big thing to sort of talk about and, oh. and be open about. And I wonder why he um, sort of decided to do that. Was there any catharsis in it?
2: The fee was not as keen <clears throat> as I was on, on writing about that. And there are a multitude of good reasons why a lot of people don't want to write about their divorces. I absolutely get that. I just wanted to put a marker down because I just think it, it's so common. It's so common. Mm-hmm. But actually, it isn't, it isn't really talked about all that much, not as much as it should be. And um, I was... I mean, it's perfectly true to say that my divorce was a very ordinary one except that the person from whom I got divorced was at the time on television a lot and so we did have um, the Daily Mail uh, knocking on the front door and generally I happen to mention the Daily Mail I'm sure other newspapers are out there but um, <laughs> they were the ones who can I, uh, how can I put it, were the most enthusiastic Gosh, <laughs> it. I'm so surprised know, to hear you say that absolutely. I'm amazed.
0: But owning, the Daily Mail
2: owning my own hypocrisy here um, do I read the Daily Mail? well yes <laughs> And would I have read the story about me and my divorce had I not been me? Also, yes. Mm. So I don't know what that tells you, really. But anyway, it probably just tells you that I'm a hypocrite, which I suppose many of us are, so that's all right. But um, divorce is an everyday occurrence, but it doesn't mean it isn't painful or difficult um, for everybody involved. Mm. And particularly if if my children were very young at the time, it's a terrible blow to, the, to, the, to your idea of the future if you didn't know it was coming. Mm. And I think that is something that... you know. It, uh, honestly, it take, it, as many people will know, it takes a while to get over that. Mm. And I just wanted to own that, but also just to talk about how you have moments, and I certainly had a moment, where I realised that my children would only have one childhood. It's the most obvious thing on earth, actually. But anyway, I, I happened to have this moment of realisation that I could go one of two ways. I could make that childhood as good as it could possibly be with, by the way, some of my endless resources. I was incredibly fortunate, you know, good health, no money problems, nice house, all of those things. Or I, So I could go with that and be positive or I could be that person who badmouthed the other parent in front. I mean, all those awful things that we've all been tempted to do a multitude of times. And if you can just, I suppose my message is, if you can just fight it back, and, you know, ring your mate at half past two at night. Um, she won't, probably won't mind. <laughs> um, and talk to her, but don't, don't involve the children and don't say things in front of them. All of those things that I probably, you know, I, I'm sure I have done some of those things, but I don't ever think it's a good idea. I mean, it's, it's blindingly obvious stuff, really. Um, but still, sorry, just, just not often talked about quite as much as it should be
0: i mean that thing you said about you you also the person who reads the Daily Mail. i want to come back to that because it feeds into the hark at her chapter which i think is really interesting and we've sort of touched on it about judging uh, other women kind of being the best for them but also the worst but just quickly from fee i mean i suppose the point of you both talking about your divorces as jane says is that it really does help people listening to that sort of thing reading that sort of thing, who are going through the same things, to hear your experiences and your stories and normalise them?
3: Well, I hope so. And I I think, given the statistics, the sheer weight of statistics, we're almost at that point where as many people or more people will get divorced than stay married. So it's extraordinary to still attach this kind of moral failure and sense of shame to something that is obviously there in the human experience you know not all of those people are in some way irresponsible or haven't tried hard enough or you know whatever it is so i really think we just have to become more accepting of what's happening and it just doesn't seem to be that marriage is a club that people want to join for life. You know, everybody goes into it incredibly hopefully and optimistically it's a bit like joining a gym. You think <laughs> it's going to work out. You think it's going to benefit you. But lots of people don't turn up at the gym after a while. Uh, so I'm trivialising it, but actually it's a really important point because if, if those uh, statistics do carry on, we have to take a jolly good look at what it is that we're selling as the hope and the dream. Because as Jane says, you know, when it comes crashing down around you, there's nothing nice about that. I think Jane and I are lucky that we've got to a place where you know we have so many other things going on in our lives we do not have to be judged as women who failed at marriage you know it's a part of life you know I got divorced but do I want to constantly say I am divorced you know is that my identity for the rest of my life I don't really want it to be and also for the kids of divorce you cannot make those kids feel that something has gone terribly terribly wrong for them there are enough stories out there of kids who have got through divorce, have learnt something from it, still have a good relationship with both parents might go into their own relationships in adult life with a little bit more resilience and understanding so let's at least give them the opportunity not to carry something throughout their lives that wasn't ever placed upon them Mm -hmm. so I think it's just a turning point in society really and because sometimes I get my journalist noggins head on and and I really do love the statistics and and I read lots of, of stuff about divorce in countries where it has been the no-fault divorce, which is important, has been available for much longer. And actually social attitudes, and it's, it's all the Northern European countries, why we aren't all living in Denmark, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but they, they do have a very different attitude. So they do tend to say, you know, I'm sorry you got divorced, are you okay? You know, other people seem to listen to the answer and then they pick it up from there. It isn't just this great big, you know, it's all shit Uh, How are you coping with that? So I think it's just, it's a conversation, isn't it, that we all need to be having a little bit Mm. more openly with a little bit less judgment.
0: I have forgotten to ask, for those who haven't read the book, for your explanation of the chuff of life.
2: Oh, um, those are, the chuff of life is a reference to the the little bits and pieces that you find in the segmented cutlery drawer. (laughs) if you're fortunate enough to have a cutlery drawer, you know, one of those wooden <coughs> units, would you call it, where you put a your... Separator. A separator. A, Thank a separator, Thanks very much, yes. Yeah. Where you put your teaspoons and your, all those. And, and if you... I mean, I find, and I can't be the only one, that over a period of months, a build-up of grit occurs <laughs> um, in those crevices. And what is it? We've, we'll never know. Um, <laughs> presumably the detritus of some of my vegan curries that has withstood the pressure of the but we dishwasher. called it chuff you know, didn't we on the podcast yep Oh, sorry. Yes, that's, that's the point. Yes.
0: And, and so there became the name. Yes. Yes.
2: It's yeah. one of the oddest answers to quite an odd question really, yeah. to be honest. But also, then we discovered yeah. it does mean something different. It does mean something in, else. In different parts of the country. Yes.
3: Some people know, don't you? You know. Yeah. And yeah. And With apologies to your father, it can, yes. it can mean
2: <laughs> vagina. Yeah.
0: No, of course, we can't, um, we cannot censor this chat because of my father. I that would know, be a, right. that would be awful. Well,
2: as a proud ex-woman presenter, the word vagina should be said freely, um, just as freely as you might say elbow. That's what, that's what my first woman's hour editor said to me. Is that true? Yes. Why not? Because well, you know you would you would get people who would. Say, Can I? I, I remember a, um, a gynaecologist saying to me, sort of, mouthing to me in the woman's hour studio, "Can I say vagina?" <laughs> I think probably you can say vagina. Yes, it is a body part. Well, it's
0: a body area, isn't it? Oh, God, is it a part? It. Okay. It's a place. Okay, right. Moving swiftly on. on. So, um, I just, one of the other chapters in the book um, is what I was mentioning before. You call it "Hark at Her." I think it's your chapter, yes, isn't it, yeah. Jane? And it's a really interesting thing because it's this idea that um, I hope I've got this right. You know, women can be—we can be our own. We can be our best weapon for each other supporting women sort of the sisterhood can be the best thing we can do but we can be our very worst enemies and you say very honestly it's much easier being in the majority much safer and so much more fun welcome women just keep popping up saying and doing silly things and then we pounce it's just that idea of how do you get it right we sort of want women to be confident and you know Mm. sort of think outside the box and be different and then when they are we're all oh gosh she's very you know. we are absolutely that. Um, how, do we get, I, how do we get that?
2: I don't know how we change that, but we've got to. We've, I mean, Fee and I are both really keen on the idea that it might be really nice if women could just celebrate the success of other women um, rather than carping about it and mm. enjoying, looking forward to the downfall of somebody who's currently riding high. Mm. You know, it's, there's something really pathetic in, about this, I think, and as long as women do it, then men are going to keep on winning, aren't they? Mm. Um, I mean, it suits the status quo a great deal for women to be bickering amongst themselves and judging each other when we could all be supporting each other and maybe getting more done I don't know, I mean you you don't have to look very far in British public life to find um, relatively recent examples of women who perhaps just just got ideas above their station and have been made to pay I mean Meghan Markle is certainly one of them, I think it's probably fair to say
0: Do you have any solutions to how we Stop that, because we 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 have this idea of what women in society should be now, and then when people do kind of are really overconfident, perhaps you know, social media is such a good example when mm. people are sharing everything and sort of celebrating their own successes. We go oh, no. yes, mm. And I think well, I everyone think we must be you know, yeah. Can we just got to, to
3: check that. in with ourselves, haven't we? You know, we are the tabloids if we buy the tabloids, so we can't. You know, we can't. Do
2: you not buy the tabloid?
3: Well, I don't. Do you know what? So this is really, really asking for trouble. And please just help me out if they come after me. But I don't buy the Daily Mail for that reason. Is that bad that you that, don't buy it? Well, no. But I just think it's a bit. I'm you scared go to, of do them. You go to mail do you know and what? I am scared of them. And I've got, an, I've got a voice that I've had to use occasionally in my life, where I've taken a phone call from the Daily Mail, and my voice becomes brittle and extremely polite and terrified, and I don't use it for any other phone call, ever, but if they ever call, I immediately, yes, hello, yes, no, I'm absolutely fine, there's nothing to see here, go back to your homes. <laughs> you know, just in case they're coming at me. So I don't buy them, because I just don't like tapping in to that. You know, I'm not averse to making an extremely acerbic and probably quite unpleasant comment occasionally about other women, and I apologise for that, you know, I'm not whiter than white, but I feel a bit, you know, I feel uncomfortable just with with uh, any publication or programme or place that is going after women more than men. You know, I think that's just really... just It's not terrific. And of course, you know, they're serving a demographic and they're serving it very well because they're enormously successful. So in answer to your question, I mean, it's... It's us, isn't it? You know, we we cancel the problem. But I think social media, for all of its nastiness, and God knows, you know, we've both experienced this. Probably lots of you in the room have experienced the nasty side of it. There's something brilliant when it means that you can tell your own story. And Mm. Louise is one of those women who did it this week, didn't she? So she was on the front cover of one of the magazines. Uh, There was just a photograph of her saying that she was uh, desolate or in despair with news of her... Ex-husband's baby. I hope I've got the story right. So by the magazine, about? Louise Singer, right? Yes. You know, well, you're just known as Jane. <laughs> yes, you're of course. Been known Sorry, as, oh, yeah. known as okay. but anyway, she, she she posted up on her stories. Yeah. Uh, I'm absolutely fine, actually. I'm having a great time. I've got loads of things going on in
2: my life. Oh, Louise Rednap. Yes. <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. Right. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. I, I do know what you mean. And yes. good
3: friends. And you just thought. <laughs> that's the way to do it, isn't it? Just call it out. If it's yeah. not your story, if it's not where you are, you know, you do now have a way of saying, uh, actually, this is my truth and putting it up there too. So maybe that will, maybe that will help. Mm. Well,
0: one of the things you, you talk about, I we mentioned Roger. I feel, feel bad because I'm wondering if there's... Is anyone in the audience called Roger? Is anyone married to a Roger? Okay. Is anyone
2: facilitating a Roger? <laughs> What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> sure, but it's in the book. Facilitating
0: uh, a Yes. <clears throat> I don't... No, <laughs> you say that, I mean, we're talking about women uh, and how sort of confident or not confident they can be. You, you say in your chapter, which I loved this chapter, I, I, oh, shut up, Roger, entitlement chinos and eye tests... And you say, a woman can never be a Roger. True equality will surely only be achieved when women can be total arseholes in public too and other people leap willingly to their defence, including men. And you wrote this, I think, before you went on your impartiality. Um, of course. course. Yes. <laughs> um, that's true. Which the, you were talking about on the podcast, saying yes. you've been impartialized. Yes, and we have now very luckily impartial. Luckily, the book came out before... Mm. Yes, indeed.
2: Um, Although, I think my my comment, I I was, in fact, on the impartiality course, um, it was confirmed that it's okay for us to do gender politics, because people would expect us to be one of those sort of feminist types that you hear about. Um, so n- no one would really tune in to Fortunately and expect to hear two women being, you know... Impartial, impartial about around men. Around the subject of gender equality. I think probably they wouldn't. So um, we're okay there. But that chapter was sort of inspired by, not so much by what Dominic Cummings did with his eye test, but I think I, I say that it just... I can't remember the exact phrase, but it remains... I mean, as long, I mean, I'll be alive, I hope, for another 30 years or so. Will anyone in British public life, again, say anything as idiotic as I was worried about my eyes so I went for a drive? And, I just think, and it's just, it, it, it remains, I think, under-celebrated. LAUGHTER mad thing to say and everybody Whoa. and, and I, I remember listening to LBC the next morning actually I love a bit of LBC in the morning it gets me going that's before I go out for the mail I'll listen to LBC anyway, um, and, um, and there was a guy who rang up and he wasn't alone and he said Nick I've done it myself if I, if I'm not sure about my eyes I'll go for a drive and Michael Gove but whatever else you might think of Michael Gove, he's a very intelligent man. <coughs> That's not impartial. Well, that is an impartial thing to but say. You, you're doing okay. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> um, he also claimed in a TV interview that he'd gone for a drive to test his eyesight. <laughs> I didn't actually hear all that many women admitting to go for one of these fabulous eye tests. But I... <laughs> I mean, why not just ring Specsavers and say, I won't come in for the items. <laughs> Let's go for a drive. And if, you know, if, I, if I kill a load of people, then I probably need the stronger specs. Yes, um, I'm coming in by car
3: today. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> You'll know what prescription
3: um, I need when I get there. Ju- judging by the dents in the front. <laughs> <That's
2: literally. Yeah. laughs> anyway, um, I was incandescent with rage about that. Just, I just can't stand the double standard um, that, that, that seems to be just whipped out when men do behave in utterly ridiculous ways. And uh, our, our current Prime Minister's most recent speech, you know, the one to the CBI, you know, yes, well, heavy cider. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if Theresa May had got within a million miles of making a speech like that, I'm convinced that people in white coats would have just come out and just <laughs> gently led her away and we were just gone oh my god that's what happens when you give women the nuclear code mm.
3: and it has um, but yeah, yeah. it has happened to women so it happens just. to Diane Abbott all the time mm, yeah, so do you remember mm. in the last election where she got some figures wrong about policing budgets mm, yeah. and she was just excoriated for it and you know she actually probably had a very genuine reason for it you know she was diabetic and she wasn't feeling great and her head went muddled and she just got some figures wrong it calls for a resignation you know she's incapable of doing her job you know, it's astonishing. And Jane's right, because for any woman to stand in a public space and give an anecdote about taking her kids around Peppa Pig World would also make a lot of people think, well, she should be at home with the kiddies, shouldn't yes. she? Well, you know, what's she doing that for? But somehow it's a badge of honour, you know, for, for a man to give that anecdote. I mean, I think the Dominic Cummings thing, you're right about that, but you might be in the BBC home for the impartial and infirm in 30 years' time, mm. considering whether or not using Pepper Pig as a real-life democratic example of a functioning town <laughs> in order
2: you think that's to portray your policy,
3: that Do might you. be ringing around your head a little bit. <laughs> okay. but, but look, we've, but we've been on the impartial course. I was course. just going to say... So I let's I'm slag off <laughs> Keir Starmer, yes. for God's sakes. <laughs> He's a bit boring, that'sn't terrible, yeah. terrible trouble.
0: Does everybody go on the impartiality course? Yes. I, I yes. didn't when I was there. So okay, so it wasn't just that they were well, listening to the podcast and thought we'd better send these two off. No no. We no. went
2: on the uh, sort of impartiality light course, which was only an hour long and also it was also <laughs> deemed suitable for Richard Coles' dog, who was also there. We understand there's a three hour version of that, yeah. Isn't that? Yeah. So some far more
3: important yeah. people uh, 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 are doing three hours in person. But mm. we're just one hour on Zoom, impartialised. So, with yeah. <laughs> the maybe slip-ups.
0: So, so <clears throat> I'm, I'm not thinking. I'm thinking of a tenuous link to this next question. But there is one. Don't worry. There's lots of um, advice in the book. Well, um, there isn't. There is. There's some very good advice. <laughs> like well, what? <laughs> well, okay. Well, I was going to do this at the end, but I think your advice, which I really liked, your genius advice to brighten your own days, V. Gift the reader your all-time favourite rebellious act which you could undertake without leaving your house. In fact, you both do it um, oh. on online forms. Yeah,
3: so Jane and I are both of an age where I think we've just found dealing with technology difficult because mm. we're too old to understand it as a digital native, but we're too young to be forgiven for not being able to cope with it. So we're just stuck in that <laughs> terrible place. <laughs> it's like one foot on the dock of the bay, one foot on the boat... So I get really, really upset and frustrated by my ineptitude with technology. But you can get your own back in tiny little ways. So just one of the ways, you know, the drop-down menus is just to always choose a different name on them. And because some of them are fabulous, like the really posh shops, like uh, John Lewis and Fortnum & Mason. Mm. Fortnum & Mason, you can be a shake if you want to. You can pick that. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. But also you can be uh, field marshals, brigadiers. You don't have to use your own name because until you get to the payment page, they don't care. So at Christmas, lots of packages arrive for things like Brigadier Sir Field Marshal Glover. <laughs> and I'm also Baroness Fifi La Glover de Dolston. <laughs> and then there was one time, and this was terrible actually, this is absolutely true, I ordered some wine from Majestic, Ooh. and I and I called myself Dr. No Bollocks, <laughs> and I asked if I could go and pick it up instead of them delivering it. <laughs> so I went to pick it up, and the man wouldn't release it because I didn't have any formal identification <laughs> as Dr. No Bollocks. And I was with my daughter, and we were just—we oh, were no—we no, we in were life. incontinent with laughter. <laughs> this is kind of, of course, I'm not called Dr. No Bollocks. <laughs> Then she then she'd be on a bollocks. It's not on a bollocks. It did was you get just, the We did in the end, but I mean, a manager had to come out, and it was it was unseemly, but also just quite just just quite fun. It was oh, just quite fun.
0: You've done the same, but I, I particularly liked your um, again. Everything you say is very relatable to so many people, Jane. You said you can't. You just accept all cookies eight or nine times a day without really knowing what it means. I genuinely have no idea. Does anybody know what it means? I don't know whether
2: anybody knows what it means. Should I... I mean, if you accept all of them, you can at least move on with the process, can't you? If 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 you've got a few reservations, that's another ten minutes of your life gone. Um, But, I mean, I do say in the book that I am 57 and that in my very last year at school, 1981 to 82... Uh, we had computer studies. The upper six did uh, uh, forty minutes of computer studies uh, on a Friday afternoon. Um, it's very much the future. We were all absolutely <laughs> agog. Um, the only problem was that we didn't have any computers in the school. So it, it was all entirely theoretical. Um, it, it was, you know, it was, it was tough. I, I, I look back on that. And I do feel sorry for the teacher. Um, one computer. No, we didn't have any. There were, there <laughs> were no computers. I, I, do, I went back to see my history teacher the next year and she, she showed me the computer room where they had two computers by then, but I thought it was too bloody late for me. I mean, but there was, at that point, there was that sort of uncertainty. You know, is this going to take off in any sort of way mm-hmm. I mean try explaining that to you know, your, your kids today they look at you you're totally mad but there really was a
0: time when the phone was in the hall and the whole <laughs> house could hear your conversation <laughs> oh, oh god! and your kids actually both of you I think help you a lot with the technology oh, thing, yes, which is my non-tenuous link to the next um, <laughs> point and one of the chapters you call motherhood tick tick clock watching childcare and the windy playgrounds of doom so it is important to share, as you both do, that, well, you call a lot of it boring, to be fair, I mean, you know, to be honest. And to be absolutely
2: honest, caring for small children, very small children, is boring, yes. Um, and it's also brilliant, and it's also a privilege, and all of those other wonderful things that I honestly do feel. Yeah. And what is interesting now is that from my perspective as a much older woman with children who are at university and one has just left university but is now back home actually, but um, much older, I am absolutely overcome sometimes with nostalgia when I walk through the park and I see tiny, cuddly, cuddly, buddly babies and I just, I want to go up to the woman, and it usually is a woman still, and just say, please make the most of this. I know you're bored shitless,
0: but... (laughs)
2: In 15 years' time, or 70, whatever it might be, they'll be gone. They won't really know about or care about anything about you. They might want your pin number occasionally, um, or your security code, or whatever it might be, to sort out a delivery somewhere else in the British Isles. Um, but these golden well, they won't feel like golden moments because they aren't at the time. But they are actually, in retrospect, really special and lovely. And I sometimes get really annoyed by parents looking at their phones. So they've got, it's sometimes a man, though not always, although I do see men doing this, they've got their phone in one hand, and with the other hand, they're pushing the child on the swing. And you Ooh, think, everyone's oh, really God, in a God, don't look at the child, just just look at the child. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, I, I know it sound like such an old bat, but it, it's something that's really started to get to me now, just in the last couple of years.
0: But uh, So, I mean... Could, you you are very honest, and I think it is very important to be honest. And a lot of people mm. are doing it. I was quite interested to hear, Fee, you say that you think there is quite a fashion at the moment to sort of talk about how your words shite everything can be, um, which is heartening in its honesty. Mm. But it is perhaps a bit depressing. You have to get, get that right between talking about how yes, difficult it all is yeah. all the time. I think
3: you, I think you do, and and because on the one hand it is fantastic to be able to be honest about uh, the challenges of early parenting, and you know just the sleep deprivation and the exhaustion, we are a million miles away from when women had to pretend that everything was absolutely fantastic and fine and that was their kind of reason for being and thank God we're a million miles away from that because, I, you know, hand on heart, I think that was probably always a very small percentage mm-hmm. of the female population, you know, who were genuinely dressing it up in a bow every day. Uh, so that's all good, but at the same time, you know, we are lucky if we have kids, really, really lucky if we have kids and, and as somebody who may well have had more years without children on the planet than with children, you know, by the time I depart. I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that opportunity to do it. But yes, I was bored shitless too at times and it was really heartening to read Jane's account because actually you can you can do you know you can do both things. You can be realistic whilst also celebrating it. But you know the the, the pushing a buggy with a Mobile phone, you know, that is more distracting and entertaining, is only going to get worse. And I do, and this is one of those phrases that you never think that you're going to say as a younger person, but I do worry about the young people now, (laughs) Uh, just because all the fun that they can have all of the time through their phones and all of that kind of stuff you could not be more removed when you're in early years childcare from that kind of enjoyment and I think they are going to really struggle just with the minutiae of Peppa Pig and Postman Pat and what are the Sylvanian families, you know we used to spend hours creating environments for Sylvanian families, it was so dull, I mean it was really like, I eat mean, my hand but, but, you know, it is what, it is what they need and you're, you are lucky, you know, to be able to do that. So I hope a bit of honesty just helps, mm. really.
0: But also you're, you're honest about this uh, subject that a lot of people obviously are asking at the moment, talking about, I've been talking, I'm sure, not at the moment, for a long time, about whether you can have a successful career and be a parent, whether you can have it all. I, I, I think it's Jane you say, do you know, does anyone know any parent who is having it all? <laughs> I mean, but, I mean, you've both sort of, to an outsider, managed to have children and, and be sort of having a very successful career I mean, at just the same a, time. a
2: very boring practical answer is if you're a presenter in radio, you don't actually work full time. So you tend to just pop in just as the programme starts and bugger off when it finishes. <laughs> so um, actually, <laughs> yeah. you're incredibly lucky, aren't you? Yeah. Ours, ours are not, or we're doing live programmes. To get a lot, the two of us not together but separately um, you, are, you are incredibly free to just, I mean in fact nobody wants presenters hanging around when the programme is over because you just take a chair up and you're likely to be distracting other people by talking about yourself so um, <laughs> most people would just prefer you to go wouldn't they? Well also they want yeah. to
3: have the meeting about you so yes. you can't be in that <laughs> yeah
2: that happens on
3: a daily basis. But do you know, what, in a serious, a serious point, I really like the fact that you use parent in that sentence. Can any parent have it all? Because actually, surely we've come to the realisation that uh, it shouldn't just be the responsibility of one side of parenting to be trying mm. to reach for everything. And I think women have gone as far as women can. You know, we've asked for equality. We have died for equality. We've protested for equality. uh, You know, we've pleaded for it. All of those kind of things. And actually, what it just has to be now is men moving into our sphere as much as us trying to move into theirs. And, And presumably, there is a picture of two working parents with kids that is just a little bit better all round for every single person in the equation and it's not happening yet and it might have slipped back a bit because of the pandemic but it would be good and you deny men who are very good at, at, at parenting the opportunity to do that if you're always saying that you know it's a it's a woman's task. And I know some men who are infinitely better than their female partners at early years' childcare and certain elements of childcare. We're kind of not really allowed to say that without it sounding a bit weird or a bit denigrating. And we've got to get over that, really.
0: I mean, unfortunately, I've got to... Let the audience ask oh, the best Let's not, knowledge. let's just carry on. <laughs> um, but I would say your Josh Widdicombe is very, very interesting yes, on yes, this whole yeah. sort of thing about that. And I have to just quickly ask one question, which is about something you say in the book, Jane. You said that, that you turned around to your parents when like, you were quite young. You said you just really, really wanted to be a DJ. Yes. Well, I wasn't that young, it was at Hilton Park Services. <laughs>
2: um, after I got the sack from an advertising agency, okay. yeah, it was you that was a grim that, morning that actually. you wanted that you what you wanted to do. Well, I, it was one of those things I hadn't said, and <laughs> I don't think my parents were all that enamoured by the revelation uh, that I my plans. Are, well, you know, my, I'd got the sack. I'd got my. This was my first job after university, and I was finally got. Something going in my life, and I was going to be an advertising copywriter. And I just thought it would be about sitting on a swivel chair like this and looking at glossy new products and writing a couple of sentences about it. And I didn't think I'd have much trouble with that because I had a tutu in English from the University of Birmingham. So I thought it was pretty much uh, pretty much a given that I'd make my fortune and retire um, very shortly after starting. Um, anyway, as it turned out, I was crap. What the sack. And my parents, very sweetly, because they're very nice people, came down to collect me to bring me back home, which is very humiliating, home. but also very kind. And um, their generosity of spirit lasted as far as Hilton Park Services. <laughs> Uh, when my dad just said, well, what is it you are going to do? And I just, well, the thing is, I really, really want to be a teacher.
0: So was that after, then, there's a journey? I don't think it's in the book. I, I think I was, it, may, it might have been on an Ian Dale podcast or something. You said that um, you had like <laughs> Radio Garvey, and you talked yes. all the way... From, from Liverpool, Liverpool to Devon. Is that, yeah, I actually yes. looked at how long... It's a long way. It's a long way. Long way. Mm-hmm. For five hours? Probably five hours, yeah. So your parents were probably quite pleased when you actually...
2: When they got to Devon. So I think probably were. Right. Um, Realised your dream. I my sister and I, you know, no wonder my sister is occasionally impatient with me. She was also having to put up with Radio Garvey for five hours.
0: So probably, um, So I think you owe her Christmas, actually. Yeah, probably. I'm probably actually thinking about it, you're right. Um, I need to... I'm so, I need to yeah. um, certainly ask I'm sure you have many questions so we've got a mic that's a, a roving mic and then also um, please if you're watching at home uh, you can submit questions in the normal way and um, I'll, I'll get them hopefully texted all onto my phone but who wants to go first yes um,
1: um, oh, I yeah. just wondered uh, you've oh, both got very mellifluous voices and I wondered if you think that has contributed to the success of your podcast <laughs>
3: So I think it it probably has. Thank you, that's very nice. A nice woman uh, contacted me once to ask if I wanted to uh, contribute to her PhD she was doing on why women with much deeper voices seem to do better in the media. So obviously I said, yes, I wanted. to! (laughs) Good resistance. But it is true, it's just true, actually. And sometimes when you hear a woman with a very high-pitched voice on the radio... Let's just talk about women. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you realise how few women there are with higher pitched voices on air. So, there's a, yeah, there is a kind of.
2: But I think thing women in broadcasting are held to a slightly higher standard in terms of their vocal skills. Because I think there are some quite reedy male voices on radio. Who? i'm not going to name names (laughs) that's not much of a voice safe room
0: here you you could name names Um, no i'm not i wouldn't dream of it it. very nice
2: um but i do think i mean but in a funny way maybe there there should be a breakthrough of a woman with a much higher voice uh, in broadcasting Mm -hmm. because why should why should voices necessarily have to be lower in order to be authoritative yes that's sort of woman's our talking point it me. is isn't <laughs> it? Yeah, it perhaps it's just easier as sort of people listening along but why is soothing, it soothing maybe mm-hmm. i think we're maybe lulled into thinking it's, it's the patriarchy that's what it is <laughs> hello oh. <laughs> oh no so i was going to do a higher voice but it won't work um who approached who about the podcast and were you friends prior to that Good or has the friendship developed? As the podcast has changed. Well, as Fia's Thank outlined, we're, if our friendship were a marriage, we're perilously close to <laughs> ringing lawyers at the moment. <laughs> um, but um, we have certainly also got closer during the course of the last five years of working together. But we were, we were friendly rather than being friends. With. Yes. That's, that's yeah. fair, isn't it? And we were also, as I'm uh, prepared to admit, a little tiny bit competitive. And actually, going back to to sort of the subject of sexism in broadcasting, because there weren't that many women in on national radio really when we first started. Um, It's so different now, by the way, but it really was not like that when we first started in national radio. Um, We were not well; we were slightly pitched against each other, weren't we? Because we were both slightly acerbic, sarky, small, brunette. Interchangeable. In, more or less interchangeable <laughs> yeah. um, women with quite low voices. So I think... And I, frankly, because I, pro- I am older, as I've already said, um, I was probably a little bit worried about her taking some jobs that might otherwise come my way. So, mm. but, but just, Which, which just, yes,
3: which would never have happened, because when I arrived at yeah. Five Live, Jane was, you know, queen of the ship... And I just admired her from afar and avoided her completely. Um, but in, in answer to your question about who approached who, we'd, we had done the radio festival. We hosted the radio festival together, our big industry shindig up in Salford uh, for a couple of years. And we'd just had quite a laugh doing it uh, or a laugh, as Jane would say. And there was a commissioning editor in the room who thought, oh, I wonder whether there's some kind of mileage in something else. So when they were... Uh, when the BBC was dipping its toe in the podcast world, they uh, did lots and lots of pilots, and they put Jane and I in a room together and asked us if we'd like to have a bit of a chat uh, about, you know, <laughs> pretend that we were making a podcast. And the resulting programme, Podcast Whatever, pilot, was then played out to the Radio 4 honchos, and the controller was apparently aghast, and it didn't get commissioned, and it took another four years to achieve liftoff. LAUGHTER
0: and that was the word, aghast. Aghast, yes. Aghast. And that was a woman. Yes, yeah. yeah.
3: And we didn't think it was that bad. I mean, we didn't think it was our <laughs> finest out. But no, it we wasn't didn't our think finest out.
2: <laughs> um, but it might have been uh, just a trifle racy by, um, <laughs> by Radio 4 standards. I mean, the thing about Radio 4 is that it's, um, I've always, if there's a difference between 5 Live and Radio 4, it's that 5 Live is an allotment and Radio 4 is this manicured lawn where everybody speaks quite slowly and a lot slower than we do in real life and, you know, shocks are relatively rare um, few, and, <laughs> few and far between and we learn a lot about the weather and, um, and it's... The it's time gonna, And the time always, it's, What's the time? Oh my God, please tell me the time I've no other way of knowing what the time is um, yes, all of that. Um, and uh, i I'm very fond of Radio Four, but <laughs> I do think it could probably do with a bit of zhuzhing up.
0: your podcast
3: is on radio, 4. well, it, it is, is, but it's very sa- yeah, a form. very a very sanitized version goes yeah. out late nights on Tuesday. Yeah. My mum heard it, and she said it's not for me. <laughs> For the first time, she'd never heard the podcast. No, uh,
0: so oh, sorry about that. Yeah,
3: no, it's quite all right. I mean, it's not. No, oh, no, we were quite worried not. when it went on Radio Four because we didn't want to make a program for Radio Four. We wanted to make a podcast, mm. so you know, mm. it could be different. So it's very nice of them to put it on Radio Four. But it is. I mean, it is. It is tucked away, isn't it?
2: Well, it's <laughs> the peak time of eleven o'clock on a Tuesday <laughs> night.
0: <laughs> um, I'm sure there are more questions. You. We're the lights were, um, are very bright. Oh, yes. here no. we go. Yes, oh, no. there we go. Thank you. Who
2: would be your dream guests to have on the podcast? Great. Oh, thank you. A dream guest.
3: Apart from oh. Hugh Edwards. Oh, oh we've so tried it. so hard to get Hugh on.
2: Well, we've got. I thought we were sort of inching closer to. Well, we you. thought
3: that we had a Welsh back channel, didn't we? Yeah.
0: But that's it. <laughs> that's
2: not worked. It hasn't worked. But surely so he
0: always, you know, he's always walking up and down. Well, well. He, no,
2: he's ignored us, hasn't he? On the Shouted yeah. his name. We do shout. We have shouted. Yes. We literally don't care anymore. This is one of the great things about being us. Um, but this is actually, I'm, I'm feeling quite nostalgic because when we pre-pandemic, yeah. we could be in the piazza yeah. and there'd be all this coming and going, and mm. you could jostle about with people and we did have some really good chance encounters with major egos and celebrities as they and it's a real shame we can't do that um lisa tarbuck is one of my favorites and she is coming on just after christmas so that Mm, is going to be brilliant thanks the lord for that um so that is going to be good and um who else do we got we've got so we're doing jacqueline wilson tomorrow who's a bit of a hero heroine of mine i've got my kids reading uh, so that's going to be good.
0: And um, I'd like anyone? some of the
3: great big, you know, uh, Boise men. I'd like Gary Lineker on.
0: Oh yes, mm-hmm. yeah. you asked him.
3: Yeah, and we'd really like Gareth Southgate. Really like Gareth Southgate. <laughs> I quite like Harry Kane. Harry, Ka- okay, Harry yeah, would Kane. I like Harry Kane.
2: Oh come on. Well, no, I wouldn't mind it, but it's not going to come. On. I mean, I would like Jurgen, obviously. Obviously, um, but I don't, <laughs> that's also a bit of a slim hope. Um, <laughs> But uh, I don't in know. the
3: wild, dreamy, dreamy, dreamy scape, I'd really like Adele. I'd like. Yeah. I think she's for. It, you as, just long think... as she didn't
0: sing, you're right. You're right. Oh, stop! It's <laughs> <that. laughs> <I'm just, laughs> very, very mean. <laughs> I mean, you say dreamy scape. You've had lots of you know quite well, we dreamy. We've had,
2: had some big names
3: on. We
0: could ask. Yeah, our biggest Why does name. Hugh say? No.
3: Well, well, no. he's so somebody's actually asked him a couple of times, and and he Hugh, he, Hugh and he has said uh, what's in it for me, and he's
2: right. Yeah.
3: <laughs> We're absolutely with him on that. There's nothing in it.
2: It there. is it is it's, it is hard to see what half a million quid a year Hugh Edwards could gain <laughs> yeah. from appearing on so podcast. I think can't. he's he's absolutely um. read us, and he's right. So he won't be coming on. Yeah, I don't think. So. Also, I'm very keen to get Steve Wright on, but he won't. Do oh, he it won't will really. it. No, no, so. no. And we'd
0: because re- we're
3: big. You know, we're we're big fans we're of big the big fans show. Big the big show. Yeah. So, yep.
0: Um, another one from the audience. I've got, I've got a yes. Are you got your mic up?
3: I'd love to know your definition of a successful woman, Jane. <laughs>
2: oh, joking or oh,
3: our joking?
0: Jane, now you have to say.
2: Oh, she won't. <laughs> thingy (laughs) a success a successful woman yes gosh god there are loads
0: Uh, or do do you mean um to pick one or define what a successful yeah i
2: I would say i would say well i can't think of a i suppose by by virtue of the fact that people have sought fame that suggests to me that they're probably not 100% happy otherwise they probably wouldn't have bothered so i wonder whether the true definition of a, a successful person is somebody who's Utterly happy in their own skin, doing what makes them happy and gives them pleasure. I mean, I, the people I've interviewed over the years, and I've been, you know, I've interviewed just a whole range of people, and I've said this recently that one of the p- women I just can't forget is the nun, the Anglican nun, who worked over in King's Cross uh, helping um, sex workers, just just work, running a charity for sex workers, and and she, you know, she seemed to me to be someone who knew exactly. What her mission in life was and who carried it out every day. Now she she's not going to be on the front cover of any magazines anytime soon. But I bet she's well. I hope she does sleep well because she's you know she deserves to. Um, so that I mean I'm that's sounding rather twee and um, idealistic. But uh, success is so. How would you define a
3: successful person? Cause it, it's an interesting um, one, isn't it? Because it's whether or not you're talking about women who would define themselves as being successful, yeah. and it's often not really the same thing. But I yeah. think just in our industry, there are lots of women who've really aced it. Uh, you know, Joan Bakewell is an absolute uh, heroine of mine. So I think she was doing what she did, what we do, at a time when it was just immensely difficult, and you kind of forget that. You know, she had an evening art show when her kids were tiny... And she you know, she talks about this, so I'm not breaking any of her confidences, but she said for a couple of years she literally lived off fags and adrenaline because she'd go into work and do all of the pre-production, Zoom home from television centre to give her kids supper and put them to bed and then go back again to do the show live and then go home to bed. And you kind of think, wow, didn't we ask a lot of women to you know, just kind of keep some skin in the game? And she's also just clever. She's given an awful lot back. She's really funny as well. I mean, proper proper kind of self-deprecating funny. And she also never, ever apologises for herself when she's in the room. And Jane and I do that quite a lot. You know, we tend to, to kind of lean out rather than lean in. That book didn't really work for us. <laughs> and, but, but Dame Joan just arrives with authority and, uh, and aces it. And I think she's just a very... Good woman, actually, as well. So she'd be my
0: heroine. Actually, you, that's a good st- um, you were talking on um, the podcast How to Own the Room. I was really interested about how Hillary Clinton, actually, just kind of, not as necessarily a success, mm. but how brilliantly she kind of dealt with people and comported herself. And-
2: yeah, this is just a, a very... I, mean, I, I was in Hillary Clinton's company for about a quarter of an hour, but what I do remember about her is that she entered the room and just took ownership of it, as Vee describes, but did it by making eye contact with every single person in the room, and there were about ten of us in that room at the time. It was a dressing room at television centre over on the South Bank, ITV studios, and um, she, she just made eye contact and just said, quite unnecessarily, hello, I'm Hillary Clinton. And <laughs> probably one or two people do uh, recognise you. And... Um, but it was just very clever and it didn't come across as manipulative, it came across as genuine. Mm-hmm. I mean she, she I, I said to her something in, I mean she must have had this for years now but I made some inane remark about how unhappy my eldest daughter was on the morning of that fateful morning when she didn't win the election in November of 2016 and she, she said slightly snappily how the hell do you think I felt? LAUGHTER <laughs> Wish I really wish I hadn't mentioned it. <laughs> my 16 year old was very upset.
3: <coughs> You'd better be impartial and say that the other
2: one would have voted for Oh, yes. For Trump. Yeah, my younger daughter would have voted
3: for Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
0: Yes. God, it's difficult to be impartial. It's thing. very yeah. difficult, isn't it? Uh, yeah, you know. Should know it well. We've got time for one, um, one more question. You're a very well behaved audience, aren't yeah. you? It's <laughs> Is it because
3: it's a Monday night? <laughs> By Wednesday, are you crazy? Um, you've re- referred to how the podcast has changed since its initial days can you
2: see it changing in the future and if so in what ways oh that's a good question oh, yes. thank you that's a very good question well we are we're, we're thinking of well, we recently did a podcast um, about death and, and dying um, with the brilliant palliative care specialist Catherine Mannix and that was one that felt a bit more like sort of Public it felt bit, yeah,
3: it felt yeah. a bit more like a kind of proper program actually. Yeah, yeah. And people really loved it, and she was mm. amazing. Mm. So we have thought we might go just occasionally do go something serious. a bit more serious, but yeah. only occasionally. Mm. Uh,
2: There's a couple of things I'd like. I would like to talk about um, mental health and depression, particularly in, in middle-aged women. And also, I'm also really keen that we do a podcast just about caring for the elderly and just about. But people certainly didn't like the two of us who were the, the jam in the family sandwich who are trying to... I mean, I'm still somehow the pillock in the room. You know, both my parents and my children know so much more than I do about everything. Um, and in a way, I, welcome, I, don't, I don't want that to change. Um, but at the same time can be a little exasperating. Um, but you know, caring for older people, especially when you don't live very close to them, is, can be a worrying business sometimes. And um, I think there's a lot of people, women, not just women, of our generation, who don't live that close to their parents. You know, if these sort of '80s people I mean, I left Liverpool in 1982, never really went back, and so did huge swathes of my generation born in, in the north in the 1980s. Sorry, in the 1960s, you know, we've, we've not lived there. And because we couldn't really, because there really weren't that many opportunities. But that does mean that um, our parents are in, you know, still there in lots of cases. And that can be stressful. So, like, I mean, that's terribly serious. But I do think that's something that does affect huge numbers of our audience. Yeah.
3: But I don't think we want the... I don't think want the podcast to change no, hugely. No. But, but eventually, uh, should, I, should I say this? I think eventually it will burn itself out as oh, well. No. Yes. no. Well, no, don't you think yeah. that after a, yeah.
0: that I think after a while,
3: everything been... everything just has its kind of yes. shelf life? I think it does. It's a shattering
2: blow to me. I don't <laughs> <see it there. laughs> I where i wanted it to end just, I, I think i might start doing a podcast with
0: you i'm just turning my chair towards you i would be very very keen um no, it's not gonna end i'm sure it's not gonna end you've got another many many episodes in it um thank you all so much for coming thank you everyone who's at home thank you both very very much thank, thank you all. coming show? out on a monday night.
1: this week's episode of the how to academy podcast starred fee glover and jane garvey and was presented by Hannah McInnes. The editor was John Doughty, and it was produced by me, Vas Christopher. We host live streams and live events with guests like Fee and Jane almost every night of the week. Subscribers to How To Plus, our membership program, can not only watch the live streams for free, but also listen to an exclusive podcasted version of everything we produce. So if one episode a week of this show isn't enough to satisfy your appetite for new ideas, consider joining. It's only 9 plus VAT for the first month. Find out more at howtoacademy.com. And thanks for listening.